Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Great to see you and welcome you on this beautiful Sunday morning. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you just want to follow along the screen, we're going to be in the Gospel uh, according to Matthew, and we'll be starting today in chapter 4. In the journals, you can go to, I think, page 15, page 16. There's space in there for you to take notes this morning. And today on this uh, launch Sunday, we find ourselves on a journey with Jesus. Uh, In preparation for the year, we had a lot of conversations where we were talking about what we wanted to, to lean into. And and I hope you hear my heart this morning that what what we desire for you at City Collective is for you to have a relationship with Jesus that you are passionate about. That's more than just a a, a ticked box, but it's something that's meaningful and centered in your life. Uh, We we desire for you to know him in in everything that you do and, and for you to encounter the presence of God, not just here on a Sunday morning, but in everything you do throughout the week. And the reality is, all those different things, they they take time. They don't just happen right away. And they're multifaceted. They require a a time of teaching. They require patience and prayer and community and discovery and grace and this this outward focus in in the midst of this inward development that's taking place. And therefore, we're taking some time as a church to go through this series bit by bit. We're going through what the Bible is often refers to this book as is the discipleship handbook, and that's the Gospel of Matthew. And so the first two weeks of the series, we were in Matthew chapter 3. If you want to catch up, it's on YouTube, podcast, whichever is your favorite platform. And this week, like I said, Matthew chapter 4. And so we're going to read together the first 11 verses. Uh, Perhaps you have heard this story before. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, you can follow along on the screen. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Don't blame him. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Well, summer 2022 has come and gone. Uh, I hope that you had great moments in the midst of it. And I know that we're back in the rhythm of of teaching and classes and clients and regular work days, but... I wonder this morning, have you already caught yourself maybe daydreaming about the summer that was? Uh, it already feels a little bit heavy in what you're in, and so you're, you're longing for the days that have 
seemingly quickly passed. Uh, a laugh that was shared, a story that was told, an experience that was had. Uh, our, our little girl is only three months old, and, and my wife is already saying she wishes she was as small as she was a month ago. Um, it, it's funny the things that we long for, and I'm not here to judge your daydreaming, uh, whatever it is. I don't blame you if you are perhaps wanting to go back to, to the good times or to keep them rolling. But I, I wonder this morning if, if Jesus had such longings. And even in a moment like this, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 4, but let's not forget where we came from in Matthew chapter 3. At the end of Matthew chapter 3, the heavens have just opened up. Jesus is baptized. He's announced in his ministry. He's announced in his sonship. The Spirit has communicated the love of the Father to the Son. And it's this miraculous and significant moment in the life of Jesus. Let, let's remember, this is Jesus' first experience in announcing the kingdom. And it's this intense experience of the love of the Father. And that same Holy Spirit that came down upon him at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4 now leads him into the wilderness. It's from, from announcement to seclusion, from this space of adoration to bodily anguish. So I think it's fair to say that it would have left some of him wanting. It was so good and, and then seemingly then it wasn't. You almost couldn't blame Jesus for this. But yet, as we've said all along, the placement of the stories within the Gospel of Matthew, they really matter. Just as much as the content. This iconic story is placed at the transition from him going from a private to a public announcing of the kingdom. So this is a tough transition. And some things are better on the next day, like, like pizza or like mom's spaghetti or just what, whatever it is that's better on the next day. But I think it's fair to say that things were not better the next day for Jesus. Often when we talk about this story, we focus in on how to overcome temptation. And, and I think there's value that in the life that we live. But in this story, I want to talk about how the temptation of Jesus illustrates the things that temptation wishes to take from us. Our identity, our focus, and our purpose. So in this text, we join Jesus in the wilderness and observe him being tempted. So I want to address two questions primarily. What was Jesus tempted towards? And what, was Jesus's, uh, what does Jesus' temptation mean for us? So back to our text. There's a couple things to note right away. Three of the four Gospels have some version of the story for us to, to take in. And that's interesting because if you look at the story, only Jesus is, is present. Jesus is out alone. He isn't interacting with other people in this moment. He is, in fact, in a verbal battle with a spiritual evil. Uh, I heard uh, an individual by the name of Tim Mackey. He, he leads an uh, organization called The Bible Project. He talks about the fact that our understanding of, of spiritual evil or the, or the devil, is often formed not out of our biblical literacy, but out of our cultural exposure. 
and this is, this is not isolated to our here and now. This has been throughout history. When you look at the way that this story is depicted in art throughout history, you see the way in which culture looks upon the devil. You see gargoyles at one point. You see angels at another. And you see devils uh, with all red holding a pitchfork in another situation. Right off the bat, if you feel this morning like, what is this, what is this story? What does this really have to do with us? I don't really have an idea of what... Uh, this spiritual evil is talking about, and you feel like you're ready to tune out, this is not a red guy with a pitchfork talking to white evangelical Jesus. This isn't that. This is Jesus' first foray in the purpose that he came to complete. Even the, the language of, of, of Satan, it isn't, it isn't a proper name. Rather, it's a title meaning adversary or opponent. And in this conflict, therefore, in this temptation, we have the question, what is Jesus tempted toward? So let's go back to the scripture. Uh, the very first temptation says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's lots of talk about bread in the Bible. Number one reason why it's in the Bible, because bread is delicious. Um, theological fact, and um, apologies for all those who are gluten intolerant in the room. But here's what's actually happening. Jesus is publicly declaring himself as the son of God. The spirit communicates the love of the Father to the Son, and then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness where Jesus fasts and is hungry, and the very first thing that the tempter says is, if you really are the Son of God. What, what is the tempter questioning in this moment? What is the challenge that Jesus is facing? His identity as the Son. And I find it fascinating for us as followers of Jesus, and especially if this has been a newer decision for you in your, in your journey of faith, the temptation that we often face and we face early is a questioning of our identity. Here's a thought for you this morning. I mentioned that Jesus is all alone in this moment. And this is what we know about the biblical text. All of the stories from the Gospels are from firsthand witnesses. But that, that couldn't be actually the case for this one. Instead, what we're actually assuming is that this story came from Jesus himself. At some point, Jesus had this experience of, of struggling and wrestling with his identity. And he wanted his disciples, his followers to know when you step from the water into the wilderness, the first attack upon you will be a questioning of the identity that I've placed within you. Because if evil can get at your identity, that doubt is a seed that can split us wide open. He knew that if we were to follow him, we would face our moments of doubt. And I want you to hear this really clearly. Jesus is not judging or persecuting those who experience doubt. In fact, he's saying, doubt will come when you are a follower of mine. 
But I want you to remember that your identity is something you need to hold on to. Purpose in the kingdom requires a foundation as an in our identity as a child of God. And here's the thing. Jesus just had what we all kind of long for. He had this dry, dramatic reminder and confirmation that the heavens just opened up and declared, this is my son. And I'm pleased with him. I don't know if you could have asked him for a more blatant confirmation of identity, and yet temptation still came. If you feel like you are longing and desiring a dramatic confirmation of identity in order to hold on to it in the midst of your circumstances, that is not what is actually presented to us. You don't need a dramatic confirmation. What Jesus is pointing us towards is that we need a, a deep and meaningful relationship. And what is a relationship? It's a daily reminder. It's I wake up in the morning and I, and I am reminded, oh yeah, I am married. I have a wife. And I'm going to communicate, oh yes, I love her. I want her to know that. And I want to hear that from her. It's that, that daily reminder so that in the midst of circumstances, I don't suddenly forget that I am married. In the midst of our circumstances, though, I think we often forget that we are a child of God. It almost seems like the first thing to go. Our identity seems to be stolen from us in those moments. And here's the thing. Your identity as a child of God is the truth that brings you peace. And temptation wants us to doubt the truth because temptation fears the truth. The story is about the Messiah, the Savior of the world, showing the truth of who he is in the midst of this test. As I mentioned earlier, the placement of this passage matters because Matthew has oriented the story of Jesus' arrival in the world, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, to correspond to the story of Israel in its infancy. Think about this with me. What is another story in the Old Testament of people passing through waters into the wilderness? The, the Exodus. The people of Israel are, are redeemed. They pass through the waters. And they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus himself, he came out of Egypt. He was baptized in the water. And he was sent right into the wilderness for 40 days. In other words, who is Jesus? What is the truth being told? He is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment. He is the representative and king for a people that couldn't get it right, that didn't get it right. This is his identity as the one to come and do what we could not. And his temptations or tests, they remind us of those experienced by Israel. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says this, and let's see if it sounds familiar to you. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So what's Jesus doing in this moment? Jesus is actually quoting scripture back at the tempter. He's not just making a statement. He, he's pointing to, to something that has taken root in his heart. 
how did the people of Israel do in the midst of those 40 years? Let's be honest, they did badly. <laughs> they, fell, they fell pretty far short in a lot of ways. So this story here at the very beginning is one of redemption. It's of Jesus resetting the story. He's going to succeed where the people of Israel have fallen short. And he didn't just come for Israel. He came for all of humanity. That's who he is. And from the very beginning in the garden, in the manner in which the tester does things, the tester, the enemy, always pulls at identity. And how does he do that? By causing us to lose trust in the goodness of God. That is the temptation that's put before if you really are the son of God, tell those stones to become bread. If you really are who you say you are, why don't you do something about this tough moment? He's, he's, he's actually trying to point at the circumstances around Jesus to make him falter. He's trying to undermine the son's trust of the father. Clearly, the Father must not have your best interests at heart. Have you ever felt that feeling? You're in the middle of your circumstances, and you might know who God is. You might have committed to your life. You might have shown up on Sunday and put up your hands, and then the circumstances come upon us, and we think to ourselves, man, does God really have my best interests at heart? That moment of, of temptation is actually meant for us to question our identity. Because if we believe we are a child of God, we believe that we have a good father who has our best intentions at heart. Now, it says that man does not live on, on bread alone. Growing, growing up, I think I had an impression of this story that, okay, well, that means that I don't need bread. I can just have the word of God, and that's, like, enough for me. First of all, that's ridiculous. Like, paper is not a diet to, like, live on. You don't, you don't operate that way. That's not the way that we live. What it is saying is God, God understands that we need bread to live. He sent manna to the people of Israel in the desert. But think about it like this. Uh, my, my wife and I, one of the things that we like to do on date night is go to nice restaurants. And whether it's here in, in the Fraser Valley or going out to Vancouver. And one thing that we always kind of rate and scale and critique is that we always look at what the, the bread basket that comes out before the main meal, right? And, and we, it's focaccia or sourdough and like, do you got some garlic butter with that? Is that, is that made in-house? Like, where, what, what kind of scale are we looking at when it comes to this restaurant? And what I'm always guilty of, not, not, not Adriana, what I'm always guilty of is if it's good bread, I, I got a problem. Um, because like I said, bread is delicious. So uh, I, I'm just like loading up on bread here. They, they want, they're like, they come around, hey, do you want another basket? Yeah, bring two. I, I'm, I'm ready to enjoy this bread, even though I'm at this fancy restaurant ready to order something. And, and you put in your order, and the bread keeps coming, and then by the time the main meal shows up, you're just full of bread at this point. Some of us are living lives like a person filling up on bread before the main meal even comes out. You aren't enjoying what you're actually here for. It, it, it's good, sure. But here's what it's actually saying. There's so much more. Jesus doesn't say 
people don't live on bread. He's saying people don't only live by bread. You can exist as a human being in this world. And you can have the base necessities provided for. Food, shelter, clothing. And you could still not be experiencing a fully flourishing, healthy human life. You can have all those things met and just survive. And what Jesus is saying is that we need the words of God. And what is the word of God? Well, it's actually Christ himself. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then John 6, verse 35 says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We are beings that need more to survive. We need a purpose. We need to know that we fit into something bigger than ourselves. We need to feel significance or that we have meaning. We need a story. We need a loving community and relationships to, to pour into and to be poured into. And this is not rocket science. This is true for every one of our experiences. And it's also true that when we are denied these things, we seem to wither as human beings. So what Jesus is saying is, yes, of course human beings can live on bread, but to truly live, we need him. My life has meaning because of the word spoken to me. The confirmation of the water for Jesus was enough to sustain him in the wilderness. Because it helped him hold on to what? His identity. His identity in the midst of the circumstances. So the tempter is rebuffed. Tries again, round two. And he comes with another challenge. So let's read that together in verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. We can imagine this moment to, to be a vision. Uh, they're in the wilderness. They didn't suddenly just walk over to Jerusalem and, and decide to climb to the top of the temple. Uh, this was, was a vision in which he is, he's brought into. And it's interesting that what the tempter does is he stays on that similar line of questioning. He opens up by saying, well, if you are the son of God, but then he switches it up slightly and he says, well, you used scripture on me last time. Let me toss some scripture at you this time. And he actually quotes Psalm 91 at Jesus. Psalm 91 is this beautiful poem of trust and faith when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. And Psalm 91 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What's the tempter saying in this moment? Well, he's saying words don't really cut it, Jesus. You might have heard that you are the Son of God, but you should probably make him prove it. Do you actually believe the words that have been spoken to you? Has it actually taken root in your heart? And this is a question for us today. The experience that we've had in our relationship with God, have they actually taken root in your heart, or are you consistently asking God, prove it? 
things are tough. God, if you do it, do something incredible for me, I will follow you the rest of my days. Prove it. Man, I, I am exhausted. God, if you get me that parking spot that everyone seems to get before me, I will pray to you three times today. Prove it. It's this genie in the bottle type stuff. If God gives me this promotion, then, then maybe I'll start to, to actually be generous. If, 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 if God somehow makes, it, makes a way for me to find that special someone, well, then I'll actually pray when I go to bed. And we, and we start to orient ourselves around these, these tests and deals with God. Have you ever done that? I know I have. We put God to the test. And the problem with doing that is this. We are indirectly saying that we don't trust the character of God. We're saying we don't trust the promises of God. And one of the most dangerous elements of testing God is the amnesia that accompanies it. Demanding God to do something often distracts us from what he's already done. Demanding God to do something often distracts us from what he's already done. And the reality is, Israel did this on repeat. How many times does God show up? And how many times do we hear them say, we should go back, we, we, we should go back to Egypt. This, this manna from heaven ain't so heavenly. I'm done with it. I'm thirsty. You brought water? It's not the water I wanted, actually. On repeat, they seem to get so distracted that they lose their focus. But where Israel falls short, Jesus doesn't take the bait. For rather, he, enter, he answers the tempter's scripture with scripture himself. And he goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, where it says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. He just quotes scripture back at him. Jesus is saying that to put God to the test is to put God in my service, and that isn't the way my relationship works with him. In fact, the son trusts the father and doesn't make him perform tricks. So what does the tempter do then? The tempter tries one final time. It's like round three, I'm going I'm to knock him out. I'm going to make this happen. And he says this, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now notice, we saw the tactic of the tempter the first two times, the question the identity of Christ. He's kind of given up on, on round three. He's like, okay, he, he gets it. He knows who he is. And so he just simply makes a bold offer. And on first read, I would say, it would seem like it's easy to say no to this. Unless you're like living in the lower mainland and like real estate's a high, like a high value and like you want to get that condo in Vancouver. And like that, you would consider it. But what is he actually trying to present to him? The tempter is trying to pull at his identity, distract his focus, and now he's appealing to his purpose. Because what's he offering? Authority, power, 
rule, kingdom. Is Jesus a king? Yes. Is a time coming when Jesus is to be given all authority? Yes. Scripture says all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. But when does this happen? After the cross. So what is this temptation? It is to deny his sonship and forego the cross. To achieve the ends without the means. The temptation is to skip to the good part. And how often do we face that? We can see the process in front of us, and it might look shiny in the distance, but we think to ourselves, man, what would I do if I could just skip to that? But here's the thing. Jesus came to deal with evil on a very personal level and at the root of the kingdoms of the world. And therefore, this is no small thing that the tempter is actually trying to do. In fact, I would say that Jesus gets a bit emotional here. He gets a little frustrated, a little upset. He, he doesn't take the bait. Rather, he just says, get out of here. Because Jesus would have nothing to do with compromising who he is or what he came to do. And the Bible is telling us is that there is a reality of evil behind and working in this world. That's why the tempters are able to offer this. But Jesus didn't come to simply establish a kingdom. He came to defeat evil, to bring humanity, you and I, back into right relationship with God. No wonder he's fired up because this is about you. This is a temptation for him to forget about you and think only of himself. No wonder Jesus gets a little fired up because this is about the children of God. He knew his identity, and here's the thing, he knows your identity. And he refused to compromise your identity for his own personal gain. That was the temptation placed before him, and that's why his response is so strong. And this response happens again for Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 21, Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he has to go back to Jerusalem, that he has a work that he needs to be done. And then Peter, of all the disciples, pipes up and he says, no, you shouldn't go back. I don't want anyone to harm you. Nothing's going to happen to you. And misguided, though maybe well-intentioned in that moment, but Jesus' response to him is the same response that he gives in the wilderness. He says, get out of here, Satan. It's a very emotional, visceral response from Jesus. You have no clue what this is about. Because Jesus comes as the king. What is the wilderness test about? It's about Jesus' identity as the son and a commitment to become a completely different kind of human being than you and I have become. It's Jesus' identity as son and as savior. 
And Jesus, he passes all these tests and temptations that Israel couldn't. Jesus does what we could not. He says to the tempter, get out of here. And what does the devil do? He's gone. It's over. The victory over evil that would take place at the cross is announced in the wilderness. And here's what's interesting. Every time spiritual evil shows up again in the ministry of Jesus, it, I've heard a quotation that says, these forces of evil wear faces of defeat. Does evil still influence the world that we're in? Yeah, like we just got to turn on the news. But we're asked to consider the fact that Jesus has power over evil and that regardless of whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in, our identity as children of God, our focus in who he is and why that matters, and our purpose as participants in his kingdom does not change. What does this mean for us? It means that being a disciple of Jesus may be looking like going into the wilderness. Facing questions of identity, distractions of focus, and invitations to compromise our purpose. I think sometimes in our relationship with Jesus, we think to ourselves that if I'm experiencing negative things, I must be doing something wrong. I'm here to encourage you this morning. If you feel like you're in a season of, the wild, of wilderness, perhaps you're doing something right. And the opportunity before you is can you remember whose you are, regardless of the circumstances that you're in. Worship team, I'll have you join me back at the front. Temptation may say, well, if you're really a daughter of the king, I don't know, look at your life. Like Jesus loves you, but I don't know where you fall in this. Look at the kind of decisions you made. Look at the way that you're a disappointment. Can you honestly tell me that God loves you when your life has been like that? This story is a warning for, for us about those voices. And what do we do when those voices come to our hearts and minds? Where do we go? We speak the words of Jesus. Get out of here. I am not defined by my mistakes. I am set free and forgiven. I am loved unconditionally. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I am a child of the Most High King. I want you to hear this this morning. You are made in the image of God. You are defined by Jesus who loves you and gave himself for you. That is who you are. That is your value. And don't ever doubt it. Jesus' temptation, we are reminded that he is victorious over evil and ultimately death. He succeeded where Israel and all others have failed. And he proved himself to be a true and faithful son. Our failure replaced with his victory. Temptation wants to take away your identity your focus, and your purpose. But Jesus succeeded where we did not, and he shows us a new way to live. Your identity in the water is the same in the wilderness. You are a child of God. 
So as we close this morning, as we enter a moment of response, I want you to think upon a couple questions. Are you living on bread alone? Are you making space for the fullness of life in the spirit? Are you putting God to the test, demanding God do something and distracting you from what he's already done? And are you compromising the process in your purpose? To whom have you actually bowed? Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.